I will never write a single line which I have not first felt in my own heart. He'll teach you everything! Truer words were never spoken. All right. Language and writing were made available. I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. And here we are again for John Helps You Write Better, and I continue to be John. I swear I, I haven't thought about trying to be anybody else. So let's try and write better today. I want to start today by telling you in as kind a way as possible. You might be doing your antagonist wrong. You might be writing the villain of your story totally wrong. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, whether it's that wizard in a tower or the corrupt CEO or the evil ranch hand who wants to spoil your romance, or the biker gang who's come into town, or the the murderer that only the one private detective in the city can stop. It It doesn't matter who the villain is. My problem is with that impulse, that idea, that notion, and that concept that at some point you have to break away from the the narrative of your character so that you can inform the reader as to what the villain is doing. I get it. I get the impulse. I know it's there because you're asking yourself, well, how how is the reader supposed to follow along? How how is the reader supposed to know my story if I don't, you know, cut away and, and do this? That's what they do in TV. That's what they do in movies. And John, you're a huge proponent of that that cinematic writing style where, you know, you've got to treat everything like a camera. So I just want to put a cut in here and jump over here. I get it. I hear you. I really do. But I need you to know that it's the wrong impulse because we're not trying to craft the story so that the reader knows everything. There's no platinum trophy here. There's no 100%ness of story. It's just telling the story and cutting away from the narrative so that you can focus on the villain is going to communicate two things. One, you're not a strong enough storyteller to stick with the main character and tell the story. And two, there's probably not a lot of organization behind the antagonist as a whole. Those are the two things I want to talk about today. We're going to start backwards. We're going to start with organizing and constructing that antagonist in the first place. So let's let's just make up an antagonist. Let's suppose we have... Uh, a fantasy novel, and we have uh, an evil king in an evil kingdom, a very evil kingdom, and they have a very evil dungeon where they they send prisoners to be eaten by a very evil monster. Let's just go really simple. And our heroes are captured by this evil king and imprisoned in this evil labyrinth where they will be presumably eaten by the evil monster. And our characters need to escape this uh, labyrinth and then overthrow the evil king. That's our plot. That's our trajectory. We need to establish that connection with our characters more than we need to know the nature of the bad guy. Because once we set up the idea that the bad guy is evil and there's an evil king and there's an evil labyrinth with an evil monster, that's enough. There's always going to be that discrepancy, always going to be that, you know, gross disparity between how much we know about the main characters versus how much we know about everybody else. Because 
that gap is what helps connect us to people. We know a lot about the main character because we're trying to care about the main character. We want to see them succeed. There is no reason to provide that equal amount of information for the antagonist because what we want in the antagonist is for them to not succeed. The absence of success in that lack, in that gap, we can fill that in with more character stuff. We can fill that in with more world stuff. We can fill that in with literally everything. But you don't have to jump to the antagonist in order to make everything else better. So if we're in our evil kingdom and we're stuck in that evil labyrinth with our very, very good protagonist, if we were to start talking about, you know, the info dump on who built the labyrinth, it is very unlikely that we are going to find a straightforward reason to bring the evil king even back into the picture beyond saying, oh, the evil king ordered the construction of this evil labyrinth, you know, in the early years of his very evil reign. But since the evil king probably wasn't down there with a shovel doing the digging himself or doing the planning himself, we don't have as much reason to talk about the evil king, specifically when it comes to the labyrinth. He's just there to be like, send them to the labyrinth and I'll be evil. The amount of information we need in an antagonist construction is limited. We, we need to know something of what they look like. So we need something, you know, we know what to picture. We need to know their immediate goal, meaning the goal in their story. They want to kill the protagonists and rule forever. They want to reunite the seven broken pieces of the magic scepter. Who knows what? They want to make sure the romance doesn't work. They have a goal. And beyond that goal, we don't need a reason why they need that goal. Like, we don't need an emotional reason. They want to reunite the seven pieces of the broken scepter so that they can have immortality and rule forever, and that's enough. But they don't need to know that, oh, you know, when they were a very evil little boy, they they really, you know, really missed their very evil little old mommy, and then they, they, they cried on the way to little old evil daycare, and ever since they've refused to let anybody grow old. I don't know. We don't need to complicate them with a backstory. We don't need to make this any more than the story is a tool for the villain to try and accomplish something. And it is it is the protagonist. It is the world. It is the, the stuff around them that gets more detail because the bad guy is just there to be the obstacle the character overcomes. The bad guy is there to try and accomplish a thing that intersects with and disrupts what the protagonist is trying to do. They're a conflict to overcome. They're a challenge. That's it. That's that's all the uh, antagonist needs to be. Fleshing them out with a complicated backstory or worse, trying to humanize them and make us care about them weakens them as an antagonist. And I know somebody out there is going to be like, what about an avatar? You know, they made Zuko into a different kind of guy. Yes. But that whole turn, that whole pivot is one, done over the course of many iterations. And two, it was substantial because it still ultimately didn't deal with the main plot. Zuko became a went from antagonist to secondary character. He's not the main character. He, you know, he's not the avatar. He's not Korra. He's just this other guy. And humanizing him 
still takes the focus away from what the main plot is. We have to go stop the Fire Nation. We have to go stop the king. We have to go, you know, bend all the things. I understand the temptation. I understand that that's the influence. But structurally, humanizing your antagonist makes the conflict and challenge the characters are facing less important. If we take our very evil king with our very evil labyrinth and then all of a sudden really, really make it sadder, like, oh, well, you know, I I really, as an evil king, I, I really just can't stand anyone to question me because one time I had a job at very evil Kinko's making very evil copies and everyone was like constantly questioning me and now I hate it. That that makes our bad guy less bad. That makes our story less compelling. It's interesting in the abstract. It's interesting in the moment. But by and large, what we're left with and what we have is a sense that the character isn't there just to be bad. The character isn't there just to be the obstacle. They don't really want the the seven parts of the magic super scepter. They, they just want to hug. They just want to be cared for. They just want to be listened to. And while those are all valid character elements, those are things the reader is going to connect with. And it's going to be hard to have that connection built, but then also have your very evil character, you know, like commands a puppy get yeeted into the sun it's it's not it's not comparable we don't want to get into a situation where we have this setup so that we're trying to both humanize the character but also have our bad guy be like super evil you can't have it both ways so in trying to construct your protagonist you want to make sure it the whatever they are, be they the ranch hand, the corporation, the this, the that, or the, the, the wizard, whatever, you want to make sure that your protagonist is there specifically as an obstacle in, in contention with your protagonist over the subject of the plot. The only reason we're fighting them is because of the plot, and that's enough. The other issue with this is more narrative, is more general construction. If I can cut away from my protagonist and I jump any degree away, whether I go to a secondary character, whether I go to a, an antagonist or whatever, I'm revealing a weakness in my construction. I'm revealing some fact or some idea that my, an, my, my story as a whole needs to be filled in with my antagonist. I need all of a sudden to give you more detail. But why? Because I have failed to provide detail prior to that. I have failed to make it compelling and interesting. Maybe I'm worried you're going to be bored. Maybe I'm worried you're going to be confused. So so what I'm going to do is is jump around and, and hopscotch my story and hope you don't really notice that I didn't have anything else to do and I didn't know how to fill in this gap with an action beat or I didn't know what to do after the action beat. So we suddenly and radically jumped over. Sometimes this is fine. Sometimes this is okay. Third person, limited third person omniscient has that flexibility where we can jump around the town as we see the ramifications of the evil king ordering more people into the evil maze. Or so we can go from character to character in our group of plucky teens as they try to solve the mystery of old man Jenkins in the amusement park. Like some story modes of construction are suited for that kind of translocation of the reader's attention. 
and that's not necessarily a problem. But if your first instinct in the course of telling your story is to always cut away, always jump away, stop for a second, pause, think this through, what's gained by changing from following this character to following that character? Whatever's gained has to be materially important. If I jump, do I gain more information about A, the main character, B, the main character arc, C, the world building, D, the plot? Most people are going to you know, shake this down to be it's a plot issue. You're going to learn about the plot because the bad guy's scheming. I didn't want to use the word plot twice. So if the bad guy's scheming, it, it tells us about the plot. Right, but if the bad guy is scheming, let's say the evil we have a scene where the evil king is talking to their very evil advisor about putting people into the very evil labyrinth, we already know that's the plot. So so what new information are we gaining beyond the specifics of like, ah, that's Ted, he's the very evil advisor. Like is that information really critical? Do we do we really need that? Are is our is our story remarkably improved because Ted got three lines of dialogue. Some people will also turn around and say, oh, well, no, it's about world building because you're seeing more of the world. How much more of the world? Evil King and Evil Ted are in like the war room over here in the Evil Kingdom. So it's one extra room in a very evil palace. Is It is technically world building. We're adding to the world. But is it world building in a way that is super critical? One of the points people make is yeah but this happens in other stories so it should be able to happen in mine let me point out that in very few cases at very few times do you run into a situation where we jump long term away from our heroes to set up our antagonists often what happens we see the antagonist first and then we go to the heroes and we stay with the heroes throughout or we jump to the villain just briefly like we set up the heroes, we set up the villain, and then we go back to the heroes. And we stay there once we make that transition. To constantly hop between the two, back and forth and back and forth, waters down the tension you could create in your plot. If we are always checking in with the king who's just sitting there looking in the scrying stone to see the characters in the in the labyrinth, you get sort of a goofy, like, kids cartoon villain level stuff when really what everybody's trying for is something more substantial and deeper and bigger. And it's, it's, uh, how do I say this? It's an understandable instinct, right? It's an understandable want to tell a complete and satisfying story. But adding more material about your villain does not necessarily make it more satisfying because your reader didn't come to the story to see the villain. Your reader came to the story to see your villain overcome. They came for the protagonist. They came for the character arc. They came for how things move along. They came for defeating the evil thing, surviving the evil labyrinth, overcoming the evil monster, and winning the day. That track that trajectory of story is going to be by default more uplifting which is what we're going for which is what we want building your story so that we have to see the antagonist when the antagonist is ultimately going to be defeated is never going to be terribly satisfying you know one of the major complaints in star wars was that the first three movies 
before the prequel trilogy, told a satisfying story, and we really didn't need to jump in and tell Darth Vader's backstory about how Darth Vader became Darth Vader because ultimately Darth Vader threw an old man down a space hole and we called it a day. The extra embellishment and development in the prequel trilogy allowed us to humanize Darth Vader so that, you know, at least for the course of three movies, we went from, you know, mannequin Anakin to, you know, something more substantial and nuanced, but ultimately it still feels disconnected and it requires even greater lore, the Clone Wars, Rebels, the cartoons, all that stuff, in order to better contextualize Darth Vader. But at some point it stops being about let's humanize the character and it starts becoming more about let's fill in every inch of the world. And it requires something more dynamic like Andor to totally step away from that to show us, hey, this is what really Star Wars is about. It's a political thing. It's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing. It's a touchstone for a reason. And it's never just about knowing the completeness of one character's story. Please take a look at your antagonist. See how you're building them. Give that some thought. I'll talk to you soon.